Good? All right. Well, I want to begin this morning by saying thank you. Uh, it's been a very emotional couple of weeks, but at the same time, it has been um, a few weeks that I've seen the blessings of the Lord. So I want to share some of those with you this morning. I had the blessing of being with and caring for my parents in their weakness, something they have done for me more than I could ever repay, and I was blessed to have that time with them. I had the blessing of seeing the Lord provide for them. I didn't know how things were going to turn out. God knew and provided. And I don't take that for granted. COVID is a horrible thing. No matter what we see on social media or hear, it is a horrible thing and it is terrifying and frightening when we look in its eyes. And our Lord was gracious. I count it as graciousness that my parents are still with me. And I'm grateful for that. I had the blessing to behold the body of Christ once again portray the love of Jesus. I know that many of you can testify to this right now. Many are struggling with COVID or other ailments or losses, and you know what I'm saying. It is a blessing to receive texts and to know that people are praying for you and for your family. People that you know that God is hearing because they're people of faith. And that's a blessing. I had the blessing of seeing Chris Rule preach his very first sermon, which is amazing. Such a joy such a blessing. I was encouraged, and to be completely honest, I was thankful that I didn't get to preach that text. I was glad it was him. <laughs> Not because I didn't like the text. I thought, Chris, you did an amazing job, bro. I just, honestly, praise the Lord. I'm grateful for that. I'm grateful for the blessing of the body doing its part of Caressa stepping up last minute to do the anniversary announcement two weeks ago. As soon as she did it, I was so thankful it wasn't me. I was glad that I'm not the one that did it. It was far better. For Brandon stepping in again last minute, the blessing of knowing that things were cared for here through preaching, through Joe leading singing, the elders shepherding the body, it was and it is a blessing. I was blessed by provisions for my boys while I was gone, rides and check-ins and meals from some of you. And so again, thank you. I'm grateful to be here and I'm grateful for the grace of the gospel that has been displayed these last weeks. And I'm so grateful for the text that we're coming to today. I'm going to be in Matthew 25. We're finishing out chapter 25, verses 31 through 46. This is the last of the end times texts. We move on after this to new texts. Some of you may just like be giving like a, ah, okay, good. We're going to be moving to new texts, but hopefully not to new hope. As I've thought about this, the weeks that we have spent now in these end times texts. I hope that these times have brought you to a place of more readiness 
of more hopefulness, of a desire to know the Lord and long for His coming. And so, as we go through the text today, I want to ask you an important question. What does your faith look like? What does your faith look like? And we can be quick to respond in our minds or in our hearts that faith is not visible. Faith is just faith. And so, doesn't look like anything. But there's certainly more to it than that. And James so clearly says that faith without works is dead. You read the book of James, you read chapter 2 of James, and you see that there's flesh there. It looks like something to believe the gospel of Jesus Christ. And so as we go through the text, let's consider that question together. What does your faith look like? Go ahead and stand and follow along as I read, beginning with verse 31 of chapter 25. When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. Before Him will be gathered all the nations and He will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on his left. Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me, naked and you did not clothe me, sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. Let's pray. Father, we are so grateful for your word. We confess to you, Lord, we would be lost apart from the graciousness of you providing your word for us. We'd have no hope of knowing you, no hope of eternal life. And so we praise you and we thank you that you have entrusted to us your words so that we know Jesus. We pray that you'd help us in this time, Lord, that we would know you, that we'd embrace you. We pray in Christ's name. Amen. Go ahead and have a seat. 
Now let's tackle something right from the beginning here. There are differing ways to interpret this text as it relates to salvation. And so let's, let's get it right from the beginning to keep us from wandering from the gospel as we deal with a really, really important text. Because we can interpret what Jesus is saying here about salvation in one of four ways. First, we can read the text and we could say, okay, Jesus is saying here that works equal salvation. Or second, we can look at the text and say, well, we don't want to dismiss the rest of Scripture. So we look at what the Scriptures say, and then we look at what Jesus says here, and so we come away and say that faith plus works equals salvation. Or we say, no, 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 we know what we've been taught for so long, and so we are sticking our ground here. Number three would be no faith equals salvation. Or four, we read the text and we come away with faith equals salvation plus works. Now, there are implications to each of these. The first says that if we do good works or if we do enough good works, then God will reward us with eternal life, that these sheep in the story are just the example of that. They did good deeds, specifically the ones that Jesus lists here in the text. And they enter rest forevermore because of what they did, the good works that they did. The second says, no, that can't be it because we know that we could never do enough good deeds to earn salvation. And not just that, but Jesus himself said, whoever believes in me will be saved. So Jesus is saying that we have to have faith, but also we have to do good works to be saved, the good works finishing the job of salvation that Jesus started for us. The third interpretation says simply, faith and faith alone leads to salvation, and that's good. Paul tells us that we're saved by grace through faith. And this is not your own doing. It is the gift of God, not a result of works so that no one may boast. He says that in Ephesians 2, 8 and 9. So there's biblical evidence for this one interpretation. But the issue with that is that we might be tempted to then throw out the works with a mentality that says works don't matter at all. Just believe. That's not good enough if we're going to keep our Bibles intact. What I mean by that is there are a lot of texts we're going to have to throw out, that we might as well tear out of the Bible if we're going to do that, which is why I think point four is so important. Faith equals salvation plus works. Salvation is by faith alone. But it does not stand alone. If we truly believe, if we truly have faith, then something happens. God really does do something. He changes us. He really does save us. And He brings about new life. And the Gospel of John is right in giving us a picture of eternal life starting now. 
And therefore, faith results in our justification and also establishes in us a desire and ability to walk in newness of life, to love our neighbor. In fact, the Ephesians text I mentioned in point three continues, doesn't it? It's, it's verses eight through ten, for by grace you have been saved through faith, and this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God not a result of works so that no one may boast, for we are His workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And so let's look at how Jesus describes that in this passage. Verse 31 When the Son of Man comes in His glory and all the angels with Him, then He will sit on His glorious throne. So we should begin in this text with rejoicing and anticipation. Because the Son of Man, Jesus, is going to come. Not in the humble manner He did the first time, but in a glorious, unhidden way. In all of His glory and all of the angels with Him, it says... And he will sit on his glorious throne. The longing of every believer's heart will be realized in that moment. The king will be seated on his throne. And everyone, verse 32 says, will stand before him. All of the nations will be gathered together. All peoples, all tribes, all tongues... And he will do something frightening and remarkable. He will separate them into two groups. It says he will separate them as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. This is the last judgment. Verse 33. He will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on the left. The sheep representing those who know and love the Lord are placed on the king's right, a place that represents favor and honor. The goats, those who represent the ones who neither know or love God, are placed on the king's left, a place that signifies dishonor. Verse 34, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my father, Inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. This is what every single, on, every single human on earth should live for. This, that verse right there. To hear these words of Jesus. This is the reward for a life lived for Christ. It's the same as what... Jesus says in the previous text, well done, good and faithful servant. Inherit the kingdom that was prepared for you since the creation of the world. Now, we've talked a lot about the kingdom of God as we've gone through the gospel of Matthew. And honestly, I want that to be a focus of much of my preaching, no matter where we are in the scriptures. But here, this is the culmination of all of that kingdom language. 
There's a king sitting on a throne and inviting his citizens to come and dwell with him forever. There's an eternal kingdom that our Lord has prepared, it says, since the creation of the world. Don't miss that. That he has prepared since the foundation of the world. So many people, even Christians, myself included, struggle at times or always consistently with feeling as if God is distant. You have been on God's heart and mind since the creation of the world. He's preparing for you, loving you actively. That's joyful and hope-filled news. Now, he's saying this to the sheep. He's saying this to those on his right, the sheep. So immediately, we can come away with this point today that's, that's this. I want to be a sheep. Whatever that is, I want to be a sheep. I want my life to be characterized by sheepiness. Whatever direction I go in my life, I want to go as a sheep. So what, what is that? What characterizes a sheep? What characterizes the people on his right hand that leads him to say, come, inherit the kingdom. It's yours. Verses 35 and 36 tell us, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. That's the king talking. And we can easily take away from this that Jesus doesn't just say, based on your profession of faith, but more accurately, based on the expression of your faith. The entire New Testament testifies that Christians are saved by faith alone, but that real faith is never alone. I want to clarify something here. Jesus is speaking here not of, of social action done to or for all of humanity, he says in verse 40, as you did it to one of the least of these brothers. So in this text, he's speaking specifically to what is done to believers. And that's important. He's speaking specifically of benevolence, mercy, care, love, and action shown to fellow brothers and sisters in Christ who are in need. It's important. But that doesn't mean we are not called to live this way and be these things for any and all who are downcast or ostracized or abused or broken. We know that Jesus says, love your neighbor as yourself, and then goes on and explains who the neighbor is as any in need, as the Samaritan walks across and cares for 
the one who's hurting. Galatians 6, 9 and 10, And let us not grow weary in doing good, for in due season we will reap if we do not give up. So then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. So we can focus on this text as Jesus says it, to the least of these brothers those who believe, but we ought not to let it produce a doctrine of exclusiveness where we neglect those who are not yet lovers of God. We are called to be the flesh of Jesus Christ to the world. When the world looks at us, they ought to know more of what Jesus looks like, what He acts like, what He talks like, how He loves his mercy, his care. Let's consider each of these things that Jesus highlights. I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me something to drink. James chapter 2 verses 14 through 17 say it this way. What good is it, my brothers? If someone says he has faith but does not have works... Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warmed and filled without giving them the things needed for the body, what good is that? So also faith by itself, if it does not have works, is dead. This is the flesh that faith wears. Let me pause here because I want us to embrace this text and at the same time not forget the text from last week. The two men in the text last week were both blessed for what they did with what they were entrusted with. It wasn't based on the amount, right? It wasn't based on how much they did, but with what they did with what had been entrusted to them. on their faithfulness with what they had. So Jesus isn't saying here to each and every single one of you, feed all the poor, but rather if you see someone hungry and you're able to do something, do it. There's a heart revealed here. Do I love my neighbor? Do I love my neighbor. It goes on, I was a stranger and you welcomed me. Now, hospitality to strangers is a, is a major sign of compassion in the early church. Romans 12, verse 13, contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Hebrews 13, 2, do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. And this is so important, 1 Peter 4, 9, because we don't want to be people who robotically look at what the text says and then, well, I guess I got to, you know, give food to this person or give clothes to this person or do to this. No, no, 1 Peter 4, 9 helps direct us here. Show hospitality to one another without grumbling. Man. God cares about our hearts in these things. He's speaking to people on his right who have been transformed by the gospel and they look at other people and they love them. 
They love them. They have compassion on them. They're merciful because their Savior is merciful and compassionate and loving. Am I a hospitable person? Do I neglect those who have no one? Or am I seeking to be compassionate? Jesus welcomed strangers. Just read the Gospels. Jesus is laying out here in this text a description of himself. And we're called to follow him, to be like him, to follow his ways. I was naked and you clothed me. It goes back to James 2 again. Faith that is alive or faith that is dead. I was sick and you visited me. This too is a characteristic of compassion we see in the early church. Are we drawn to those who are suffering? Or do we avoid them at all costs? Or not at all costs? Maybe we just find ways to avoid them that look safe and good and right by sending someone else. They'd be better suited for that. I'll call them up. It's so challenging. I was in prison and you came to me. And we can't miss the implication of this part. The reality is that if we visit a brother or sister in prison today, it probably isn't going to cost us what it did then. It's a wonderful ministry. Don't get me wrong. It is a wonderful ministry. But consider the cost of what Jesus is saying in this text. To visit a brother or sister in prison in the early church was to identify with them. It was a sacrifice. You were identifying yourself as a Christian by doing so, which is likely why your brother or sister in Christ was imprisoned in the first place. Hebrews 10, 32 and 30 through 34 give us a picture of this. But recall the former days when after you were enlightened, you endured a hard struggle with sufferings, sometimes being publicly exposed to reproach and affliction, and sometimes being partners with those so treated. For you had compassion on those in prison, and you joyfully accepted the plundering of your property since you knew that you yourselves had a better possession and an abiding one. That is exactly what Jesus is describing in this text. That's the kind of compassion and love and joyful following of him that he's describing in this text. It's beautiful. It's amazing. Faith that is alive is faith that shows compassion. These six things describe a compassion for those in need. Compassion and mercy and love. Loving your neighbor as yourself. Verses 37 through 39. And the righteous will answer him saying, Lord, When did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you drink? And when did we see you a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? This is wonderful. They're not bummed about this at all. Like they've been invited in, but they're like, "Uh, we we don't know when we did these things. We, We don't know when we saw you in this condition and we did these things for you. 
the righteous, it says in verse 37. Answer him. The righteous are those who have been saved by grace through faith. They're not righteous because of these things that they did, but because Jesus saved them and God counted them as righteous based on the merits of Christ. And then they responded. They lived out that faith in these ways and they're confused. They're like, we didn't know we did that for you. For the part of the sheep, I think this is humility. They genuinely didn't know, but Jesus gives an incredibly important response to them. Verse 40, and the king will say, truly I say to you, as you did it to one of the least of these my brothers, you did it to me. You did it to me, Jesus says. When you did it to these brothers, you did it to me. Now, I want you to imagine something here. This is the king. That's what it says. Then the king will answer them. Sitting on a throne, he reigns over all. If you saw the king hungry, if you saw the king thirsty, if you saw the king naked, if you saw the king as a stranger, if you saw the king imprisoned, you would want to help. You'd want to do that. Jesus says, brothers and sisters, as often as you did it to the least of these, my brothers, you do it for me. When you serve others, you serve Christ. It's as if you are feeding him. It's as if you are clothing him. It's as if you are welcoming Jesus. And eternity for those on the left is the exact opposite. Verses 41 through the end. He will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry, and you gave me no food. I was thirsty, and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger, and you did not welcome me. Naked, and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison, and you did not visit me. Then they also will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them, saying, Truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. They're cast out. Why? Because they didn't have compassion on the least, which showed that they didn't truly believe. You notice that they're surprised too. When did we not do that for you? When did we see you in those ways and not, when did we see you hungry and not feed you? When did we see you 
thirsty and not give you something to drink? When do we, when do we not do that? This is important because the question I asked earlier is true. If, if you saw the king in those conditions, you would want to help. You would want to respond. You would want to do something. But there are different reasons for helping. One might see the king in that position of hunger or whatever else, and because they love the king, they want to be a blessing to the king, they help. Another might help because they respect the king and they know it's the right thing to do. And so they, out of respect, they do the right thing. But some might help because they want something out of it. It's like the, the workers in the field when, when the master of the field sends his son and they look and they see him coming from far off and they say, this is the son. If we do something here, then we're going to get something out of it. That mentality. Not out of compassion, but out of selfish ambition. And so the surprise of those on his left is simply, if we had seen you in those conditions, we might have helped. But not because they love the king. If they love the king, then they would love the kingdom and will have compassion, will be compassionate. And their fate is terrifying. Eternal punishment and the eternal fire that was prepared for the devil and his angels. It wasn't made for man. But man chooses that when they reject Christ. And that's hard. It's hard. But it's true. We don't like to think about it, but we, we must. Because we can't just take the things that we like in the Bible and hold fast to those. There are two places that Jesus mentions and one Savior, one choice that we have. In the two groups, the sheep and the goats, we can assume there are people on both sides. On Jesus' right and Jesus' left who sang worship songs. People in both who preached sermons. I mean, Jesus told us that already, right? In Matthew chapter 7, many will say to me on that day, Lord, Lord, did we not do these things in your name? I'll say, depart from me. I never knew you. I didn't know you. So there's likely people on his right and on his left who sang worship songs. People on his right and left who preached sermons. But there's no one on the left who knew Jesus truly. And no one on the right who didn't believe the gospel and wasn't transformed by the gospel. It's the gospel of Jesus Christ and what we do with the gospel that matters. And so I'd ask you, do you know him? Do you know him? Not just go to a church that knows him, not just have family that knows him. Do you know him? 
You read this text, you see so clearly the king is gracious. The king is merciful. The king is kind. The king is loving. The king loves you. Do you know him? We're going to go into a time where we take the Lord's Supper, and it's important for us to know the answer to that question. Do you love God, and do you love your neighbor? And just as we started with, what does your faith look like? Because in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, Paul warns against not considering others before yourself when taking communion. That that matters. He tells us to examine ourselves, and so let's do that today as we prepare to take the Lord's Supper. As you're dismissed, you'll be asked to come forward and get a cracker and, and get a cup and take it back to your seat and just and wait. We'll take it all together, but let's prepare our hearts. Do you love your neighbor? Do you have compassion on others? Do you believe, truly embrace the gospel? Let's Let's prepare to take the bread and the cup by asking the Lord to help us to examine ourselves and help us to be those who love our neighbor as much as we love ourselves, and to serve Christ as we serve one another and others. Let's pray. Father, thank you for your goodness and your grace, Lord. You really are so gracious to us. And all of these things that are mentioned in this text are just a reflection of your character. They're certainly not a reflection of our character, Lord. Our character is so flawed. We're so broken and we mess up so often. We fail so easily. We forget so easily. We're, we're uncompassionate by nature. But you're not, Lord. You are always, always faithful and compassionate, kind and loving and gracious and merciful. You deserve all of the praise and all of the glory and all of the honor for any of the good that takes place. Any of the feeding, any of the clothing, any of the visiting or welcoming that happens, Lord, it's all you. It's because of you. So help us, Lord, to acknowledge that and help us to long for that. To be a people who truly long to live out, to flesh out in front of this world the grace and mercy of the King of the universe. To let them see that you are kind and compassionate. Fill us with a compassion that's true, Lord. That doesn't go to the other side of the street. It doesn't turn our eyes or our noses away, but that loves with the love of Christ.